Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, we talk a little OU basketball, and then Max Olson joins us to talk some OU football, talk about the 2022 Big 12 season and the 2023 Big 12 schedule, and that's it. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostie, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, February 6th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of February, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this episode a few days in advance. Said I'm going to be a gone gone again this weekend. Once football season is over, my wife has my ass everywhere, man. Man, the uh, the grind is real. The grind is real. You are you going minute by minute on an itinerary for the entire off season? It, basically, that's what we're doing. Like, <laughs> it, and now that like kids are involved, it's my entire life. Once once the season ends. And until the next season begins, my entire life is essentially scheduled for me. <laughs> I have no good. choices, That's which is good. fine. But you're scheduled, you're scheduling guy, you're a detailed yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm an organized guy, but it's just yeah. one of those traveling on the weekend. Like sometimes you just want to sit, you know. Yeah, you just want to sit in your home, but you know it, it's got to be a fun weekend. It'll be fine. So another pre-recorded episode. So if we miss anything very, very significant, we will catch up on that on Wednesday. But by the time people listen to this, oh, you will have played another basketball game in Morgantown against West Virginia. We'll see how that goes. Not feeling good about it after what we saw in Bedlam. Ted, do we even want to talk about it? Man, do we just want to get straight to Max Olson's interview? It's an awesome interview. It's like an hour of covering 
everything in college football. It, it's fantastic. Do we want to ruin the vibes for Max by talking about the Bedlam game? Because, oh, boy. Do we want to? No. Are we somewhat obligated? Yes. I think we have to at least mention it. That's fair. All the excitement in the world with the fan base after the Alabama win. Packed house there at the Lloyd Noble Center. And yeah, free admission. Don't care. Packed house. Packed house. It doesn't matter how you got to the packed house. It's packed. It's packed. The most juice that building has had in years. And it didn't go well at all. Dude, I feel for those players because they got to know. They got to know what it means to play that way with all those people in that building. Oklahoma State just looked like a superior team. Way more length, way more athleticism. Sooners had no answers for Caleb Boone and Musa Cisse. That did not go well, man. That was that was now. It certainly doesn't help if when when you can't make shots. But I thought a lot of the missed shots were the result of Oklahoma State just being a superior athletic team. Yeah. Bad, I, we had a bunch of bad possessions offensively that ended in like desperation, bad shots that were nowhere close. I mean, the amount of air balls or near air balls that we had, like we, they weren't rimming out on us, right? It's not like we were right there and just unlucky. They were bad shots that were not close. And, you know, it's the game started off that way. It's like, I think like our first three or four, maybe even more possessions. Not only did we not get a quality look like they were, they were bad possessions, turnovers, and just look disjointed from the very beginning. Um, It's crazy to see the TCU game, how we looked, the Alabama game, how we looked, and then the Oklahoma state game, how we looked. You want to talk about a roller coaster. It's from the pit to the peak to the pit in a very short amount of time. And and you're right. I mean, that's difficult on those players. It's almost like there was a bunch of anxiety from those guys about everyone being there, right? Instead of excitement for that opportunity, it's almost as if like, there was some nervousness from it. I I'm not going to say that it worked against them. I just think OSU's better than them. Yeah. Like, I I, I got to imagine those guys were, I mean, fired up that the LNC was packed the way that it was. I just thought Oklahoma State, the athleticism really bothered them. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to win very few games in the Big 12, if any, shooting 35%, right? I mean, it's going to be really, really hard to beat, whether you're at home or on the road, but... The thing about it, did did OU even ever have a lead in that game? No. It was a wire-to-wire because wire, OSU jumped out to what, like the 6-0 lead or whatever, and never trailed in the game. Yeah. So you can you can talk about poor shooting, but we watched we watched what happened to the Sooners in Bedlam and Stillwater and the way that Oklahoma State pulled away from them in that second half and down the stretch. 
And then this was just a wire to wire whooping, man. And I think you're talking about the the peaks and the pits, the peaks and the valleys. I think the inconsistency of this team is what is really starting to frustrate the fan base. And I don't think people are turning on Porter Moser. It's year two. Like he's got to get some more talent, but man, it's, this feels like we thought TCU was the low point for the season. The way that this game unfolded, especially with the excitement coming in and that crowd for them to lay an egg like this, it hurts. I feel like we're all in pain. Yeah, it's, I, there's no way around it, man. It's, you know, Oklahoma State is, a, I mean, you have to look at it, at least up to this point, a mid to lower level Big 12 team. What were they like, three and five in conference going into last night? And and we were two and six. Like, that's just kind of where they were. And the separation between us and Oklahoma State looked massive. Just like you mentioned, the length and athleticism. I mean, I think that's that's one of our our issues right now. I think we've got some some good players, but like we we just have a lot like the football team. We don't have any margin for error, and like we can't overcome a a lot of things with athleticism, like a team like Oklahoma State can. Like with length and athleticism, like you can just get some things done. We don't have a whole lot of that right now. It'll be the tone of the start of this podcast, it'll be kind of funny if they go to Morgantown and win, you know, because they're recording this before that game happens. And who knows? Maybe they go, maybe they fix a lot of the issues. They play well, West Virginia. They, they've got some athleticism as well. I don't think they don't have the length that Oklahoma state has, but who knows? Hopefully, hopefully we sound stupid. We're like, ah, why are you guys? So why are you guys so sad? <laughs> or, it could be one of those, uh, it's gotten even worse situations. Well, the Alabama game right now is the anomaly in this stretch of season that we're in. So hopefully we get another one though, right? Yeah. Hopefully we get another one. I, I I thought this was interesting. Oklahoma State, they've won six out of the last seven. Well, with, with, with that size that they've got, I – that's not it's not a shock to me. They're catching catching fire at the right time and they look like a really good team last night. I'll say that. They they certainly look like a tournament team. Yeah. If they can if they can score the basketball, that's their struggle. Is, you know, just putting the ball in the basket. They can figure some things out offensively. That length, that athleticism that they've got on the defensive end, that's going to give a lot of teams problems so we'll see and i'll say this i really like mike boyton just as a dude yeah he's done a good job despite all really like him all the roadblocks that have been thrown at him he's he's done a good job i just i really wish that game wouldn't have gone the way that it did it felt like such a big missed opportunity to get the fans excited and to get more people to come out to the games i know i know that's and the players they got to feel that too. Like oh, they're yeah. not they're they're not dummies. Like they they know the opportunity that they just squandered for sure. I you know and I thought I watched till the bitter end. I same. I thought that they were going to have 
there's about five minutes left, and I think they cut it to around maybe 10 or 12. And, you know, you had an opportunity, if you could have hit a big shot there, to maybe light, light the remaining folks up that were there. There's still a lot of, a lot of people there and try and make a late run, but they just, they just couldn't connect on anything. Yeah. All right. Birthday shout outs. Happy second birthday to Luna Rubio. Happy ninth birthday to Lucy Croom. Happy 32nd birthday to Brady Mason. And happy 61st, 61st birthday to Cindy Coleman. And we've got one late edition, and they want you to read it, Ted. Okay. It's Jay Thacker's 11th birthday. Happy 11th birthday to Jay Thacker. Nice. Nailed it. All right, let's get to our interview with Max Olson. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 42 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Hamari. That coffee is fantastic. That felt like a good one, man. I won't lie. That that one felt good. Love's also, as you've covered, if you forget your phone charger or headphones, they've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And you're going to want some of that new... Oklahoma Breakdown merch, people. Going quick. All right, let's talk all things college football with our man, Max Olson. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that covers college football as well as anyone. You can catch all of his stuff over at The Athletic. Max Olson is in the house. What's going on, man? Man, staying busy. Got a got a two year old's birthday today, so that's that's exciting. Got up early. Got got some donuts. Uh, so I've got some got some juice to start the morning here. I I like two year old birthday, Ted. I have not reached that point. That that is that's coming in June for me. Two year old birthday party. I assume that's a good one. That's yeah. Like, that's like welcome to the motorized sport league. Like he's going to be all he or she's going to be all over the place. Yeah, he's he's uh he he wants like a uh he, he's way into garbage trucks and tractors and all that stuff. I oh. asked him what kind of donut he wanted this morning and he said red, so we got him a red velvet and he actually kind of liked it. So, <laughs> no, he's starting yeah. to develop some preferences for sure. My son, I he's got a lot of words. He's got some phrases now. He's one and a half. Uh, airplane. Mm-hmm. Big airplane guy. A lot of airplanes Big, in our oh, future same apparently. Here. Same here. Dude, airports are. I mean, I, I like. I'll, I'll Facetime my kid from an airport to be like, "Dude, check it out. It's your favorite." That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay, so you mentioned busy, right? You cover college football at the national level. Now you also you focus a lot on the Big Twelve. 
just for you in general, like how different is it now than maybe five years ago with how you're having to cover the sport? Yeah. I mean, I, I like it. I think it's exciting. Like just how different the 12 month calendar and like the off season is now in college football. Like it truly, truly does feel like a 12 month sport, at least to me and covering it. Um, whereas probably like five, 10 years ago, it used to be a lot easier for a beat writer to go shift into uh, you know, basketball mode and then come back for spring football and stuff like that. Like it, it just never stops. And it, yeah, it's a little bit exhausting. And like, I have a lot of people who ask me like, dude, aren't you tired of covering the portal? Like that seems miserable. Like how could you keep up with that? But um, you know, I, I I've enjoyed it. Like it's just a very uh, different way to look at the sport now. And uh, especially on the national level. And um, it's been, it's been, it's been fun, but it's uh, like, as we hit February now, like I definitely need a little bit of a break here. But it's been, I mean, it's great content. You know, whenever you have divisive issues, it typically breeds a lot of engagement, right? Portal, NIL, there's a lot of people on both sides of that. Um, you know, the Big 12 stuff with Oklahoma, Texas leaving and the new schools yeah. coming in, there's people on both sides of that. You know, the playoff, the 14 versus 12 team. I, it's probably been beneficial with all of the change that's gone on over the last couple of years. And honestly, like I tell ADs and coaches all the time, like, I, I hope that they understand, like, look, we're just trying to keep up with this too. Like, that's just, we're not, we're not all that different from y'all from that standpoint of just like, we're trying to understand where this is going and what this sport looks like in two years or three years or five years. And, and so, yeah, it's kind of um, the schedule for sure. You're, you're totally right. Like the schedule has become way more uh, unpredictable too, because you, you have these things, whether it was like, you know, like when UCLA, USC to the Big Ten hit, like didn't see that coming, you know what I mean? And then you just kind of drop everything and move on to that. Like it's been the past couple of years and just trying to understand NIL and portal and collectives and like all these things that have popped up. Um, it is, it's just, yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, we're fortunate to get to, to do this for a living, but uh, man, it's been pretty nuts. Okay, let's talk about some Big 12. And I, I really enjoy the podcast that you and Sam put out during the season. I like to like to gather some nuggets from that for my radio show. So appreciate you. Appreciate you there. But <laughs> when, when you think about the 2022 season in the big 12, really, what, w- what was the most surprising thing with how closely you cover that league? What was the most surprising thing in 2022 from a big 12 perspective for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. I, I went and visited TCU like at the start of I want to say it was like the start of June or end of May um, after spring ball and sat down with Sonny Dykes and like a lot of his coaches. And like I asked Sonny straight up, like, what what are your expectations for this season? Because we were doing our, you know, summer state of the program series. And he was like, I think we got a bull team. You know, I think we do. And like, um, you know, if we figure out figure things out at quarterback, maybe a little bit better than that. And like, but also I could see it going sideways, too. Like if you have some injuries, like if things just don't go right, you know, obviously it's a first year staff. So you're kind of trying to figure things out culturally. Um, he's like, I, I could see it going the other way too. Like, you know, I, and so like it was, and that honestly, that when you hear that from the head coach, like that set my expectations too, of like, I think TC is probably like a six or eight win team. They've got some good players coming back. Um, like, like the people in that building and like what they're doing. So for them to go make the leap from, six win team to 13 win team a little different a little different that was uh, a wild ride and and I think for me like it like throughout like I I covered their game at Kansas which was a nail biter and and 
you kind of felt like there was just going to be a lot of nail biters for them the rest of the way because you guys know how this conference is. And so for them to just like pull off that run that they did um, and actually actually go 12 and 0, um, which is just super, super difficult to do in this conference. Um, that was the thing that probably surprised me the most. And then obviously, like on the other side, um, I didn't didn't see that coming from OU. I just I just didn't. I mean, I I, I just thought I mean, there there were some hints, I feel like, in, in, in some ways, but like to to I, you you never could have even if like other people I work with had some maybe lower expectations for them like I just Stuart Mandel he did man guy nailed it nailed I don't even it. know how I don't know how um, but uh, losing season I just I never would have uh, I never would have picked that for sure um I, there was I, I thought Tech Joey McGuire as yep. the first year coach did some really interesting things out there there's I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like there's the Kingsbury hire was was a lot of hype. But I feel like there's more energy and like legitimate backing of the program there with a, a with the maybe the most positive outlook that we've seen coming from that area of the country, right? I mean, Tech, I mean, they look like they may be making some moves. I I'm with you for sure. Um, I think that like over the past twelve months. It kind of seems to me like Texas Tech has like done everything right in year one for that that staff. Um, obviously they've got their um, stadium and like facilities renovations going and funded and all that stuff. Um, they've got a, a collective plan um, that pays everybody that seems like pretty reasonable. I think that you've got a staff there that like for the first time in probably a long time they're like, no, we actually love recruiting to Lubbock. Like we actually can get players here. We don't see that as like a handicap to being in this job, and so. Um, they've built a, a, I think, a pretty good recruiting class in their first full cycle. They're getting good transfers. Like, yeah, I think Tech is like, Tech is is nailing it. And like, even man, I've known Joey McGuire for, for a long time. Like, so going back to when he was a head coach at, at Cedar Hill High School, and like, even the people around him are like, man, he's like doing better than I expected. Like, even the people who trust him and work for him and like, you know, would die for him are like, you know, actually, Joey's doing a better job than than I thought for a first year head coach who. It has not been a coordinator at the college level. So um, yeah, tech is, is one that like, you feel like they're, they're building something um, pretty real over there. Year two for Sart, right. In Austin and what eight and five season, six and three in conference play, definitely better than year one. Right. But did you, did you think that program as a whole with everything you were able to see, did you think that that program is progressing like do you think it's it's finally feels like it's headed in the right direction like at the trajectory we expect texas to be at i think it's like i think it's in in solid shape there yeah like i like i I, watching their game against alabama and just like the way that that place was like electric like i've never seen in in the years i spent covering that program Um, and just the way that they physically like competed with alabama and obviously it ended up being a down year for alabama and in by their standards, but like watching that game, I felt like, okay, like they're figuring this thing out. Like, obviously you need to bring that same energy every week, which Texas never does. And so like you, you like they, they have at that place, like all the losses are like disasters, right? Like they're, that's always how it's going to be, even if you, you know, lose to good opponents. And so I, I think that like, I think they took a good step for year two, obviously like they're recruiting at a, at a high level as they always do like win or lose Texas is always going to end up signing these top five classes. Um, and it's funny, like not to be lazy, but like, it does kind of always feel like it, it is judged by the quarterback position. And just, did you take the steps you needed to with Quinn Ewers in, in his um, retro freshman season? And like, I think 
you saw some good things and you saw some bad things, you know, as, as you'd expect from a young guy. And I'm, I'm just fascinated to see kind of what the next step looks like for him. And can he improve his footwork and, and like really get a lot better? Cause I think he needs to. Um, otherwise, obviously there's a, a pretty talented young kid who's, who's going to pass him. And so that part of it, like you feel like you saw some good stuff. You saw some bad. You, I think he kind of say the same thing for the rest of the team. Um, like they, they, were able to pull off some big wins. Yeah. They were, you know, one away from getting to the big 12 title game, but um, you know, like, like should Texas be like preseason top 10? Like, no, I don't really think so. Yeah. Well, you mentioned how surprised you were by uh, the way things unfolded for OU last year. Like what was, what was the, what was the biggest takeaway from you? Like where, where did you see a bunch of shortcomings that, were more difficult to to try and in place before the season got rolling. Yeah, you know, same thing for me with with OU. Like I said with TCU, where like I, you know, I was do, did the summer preview on on OU, and I talked to Brent Venables, and we probably talked for 20, 30 minutes, and um, just as you Man, know, that's as a you short kind of, combo. Good, it was. Yeah, like yeah, it was. It was. It was a short one. Yeah, you know, you had to really plan out the right three questions to get through those thirty minutes. You know, and so. Um, and it was interesting, obviously, like all last offseason, like the, the you know, you guys heard it plenty about how it's all about building a program and not a team and culture, culture, culture and all that stuff. And and it was interesting, like for me trying to like do the summer preview for, or the season preview on them. It was like hard for me to pin down Brent Venables and like what he really thought of like his depth chart and his players and like his it, like what they had coming back. And like the the thing he said to me that stuck with me, it was just like we lost a lot like we lost a lot and he like went through the positions where you know quarterback and other positions where you've lost a lot of players out of that program over the past few years and like when I put that preview together some people reached out to me and were like oh I'm surprised you like you weren't didn't seem like you were super high on OU and I'm like I couldn't tell if Brent Venables was super high on OU going into year one like it, it was just hard for me to like get a real sense of like what do you really think of Dylan Gabriel and Eric Gray and the pieces on offense and what, do you, you know, what's your return on defense? Can they play the kind of defense you want to play and all that kind of stuff. And so it was interesting, like just to see the ups and downs of that season. And, you know, like, obviously like at that mid season low point, um, cause you have to kind of break that schedule up into a couple of different ways. And we were, we were joking before, like, yeah, I, I saw, um, I, 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 because I'm based here and looking at Nebraska, like I, I was at the Nebraska Oklahoma game, which coming out of that one, I'm like, man, OU's legit. They're rolling. Here we go. And uh, I saw and so then, I saw you on the field after the game, and I was like, "Hey, we could have something here." <laughs> smoked them. Just completely smoked them. Yeah. Um, not a great year for Nebraska. Ultimately, who, who could have seen that coming? But um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like at that midseason low point, you're three and three, forty nine nothing in Red River. Like you're, you're saying, like at least like okay, Gabriel will come back, and like maybe it's not as bad as it looks. Like the QB play will go back to normal, and then you know, offensively, they should still be pretty productive and have a chance here. And so, like, I think the response to the, you know, the against Kansas and Iowa State, I thought was important. I thought the Bedlam game was important in terms of just this group taking some steps. And then you look at, like, the last four losses. I mean, every single one of them is a three-point game. Um, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, I'm curious how you guys look at it, like, more glass half full or, or empty on that stuff where it's like, it shouldn't ever be that bad again. Right. But like the, I suppose the downside of it is like, you just have to look very critically at like, okay, what, what are they doing? Like, what are the deficiencies that popped up in 2022, especially on defense, I feel like, and kind of how, where do you kind of set reasonable expectations for like year two? Like, how do you guys see that? 
That's a tremendous question. I, I would say we got a long we, off season to get there. I'm sure we, I'm, I'm putting you we on the spot, clearly but. we throughout the season, we recap each game. Yeah. And Max, let's just say the podcast got darker and darker and darker to the point where we were like, we can't, this season needs to end because sure. it, we are Ted. I'd say we're more, we're, we're just very realistic about it. And I didn't think they had like they, they got to get better along the defensive front. They they absolutely have to uh, guys need to. One, one of the things that really bothered Ted was just so many mental mistakes mm-hmm. defensively. So many. MAs. And yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it takes time to get up to speed with Venable system, but the fact that it was happening as late as it did in the season, I thought Teddy was going to kill someone. It was tough. We, and, you know, maybe it's something that I I should have seen quicker whenever Venables, one of the mantras that you heard from him throughout the preseason was how inexperienced they were. Right? You could ask a bunch of things, and he would he would talk about how many guys that are going to be playing that have little to no experience playing and have never worn the Jersey before and all that. Yeah. Right. I think that may have been the, the writing on the wall, but I'll tell you my, my glass half full take is we had a bad football team last year. They were bad. They're undisciplined. They missed tons of easy opportunities. This is offense and defense. And we were really close to win it. Like those four losses, that those are coin flip games and we were bad. So like by the glass half full is that we don't have to be much better to have a much better record, but yeah, that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for a good record. We're looking to go try and win a championship. So my glass half empty is we are looking at last year, nowhere close to winning a championship, but right. You know, I think we've got some good tools and, my hope is that this is more of a developmental year than a transitional year. Like last year, I was I I expected it to be way more de- developmental than it was, and just getting everyone up to speed offensively and defensively, and getting the roster just to where they could compete. I think sucked most of the energy out of the program to where you didn't get a whole lot of development. And my hope is that this is the off season where we see a bunch of development from from guys coming in. I'm with you. Yeah, it's hard to just like snap your finger and say, okay, yep, 10 win season next year. Like it's just that easy because as you saw, like it, it, on paper, you can say, well, we brought in all of this and, 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 you know, the, the staff has these credentials and stuff like that. So this, the, the puzzle should all fit together. Right. But it's just, it's just, we're in a, such a different time right now too, where, um, and I, I hear this from like talking to big 12 coaches all the time where like you're really 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 intensely focus on what you've got every day and it's hard like it's hard to know what everybody else has got nowadays because everybody is getting better or losing their key guys or picking up key guys or picking up players you've never heard of and so it's like your your standard like Brian Venables in year one is trying to set the standard of the way he wants to do things and and really you know in his way rip it down to the studs and start over and stuff and so like you're trying you're on your your own mission of how you think this thing needs to be and at the same time like you just kind of can't assume that you are way more talented than everybody anymore because, um, and, and of course now we go into 23 and now it's a 14 team league and it looks, you know, schedules look crazy different now, but like you just, 
I don't think there's like a, like I, I, OU is still super talented to me when I just look at like the way they've recruited and stuff like that. But are they like so much better than every team on their schedule? Like maybe not, maybe not just based on the way they lined up last year. Yeah. And when you look at it, you, you look at their recruiting class this year, right? In the 2023 cycle, top five class, right? If you want to get where, you know, we expect the program to be where you're winning conference championships, you're competing for national titles. You got to do that, what, four or five years in a row? I mean, you yeah. think about what Saban does every year, what Kirby Smart does every year, what Ohio State is doing every year. Like, that's what you have to do. So I, I think our realistic view of OU's program currently is, hey, you you can make a run at a Big 12 title in 2023, right? And we'll get into the schedule. I mean, OU's schedule is, you know, I, I, I don't think it is a overly difficult schedule. I agree. But when you talk about competing for a national title and having to go, especially once the playoff expands, having to go through two or three of those types of teams, OU just doesn't have what it needs yet right now to do that. But if Brent Venables can continue to do what he's doing from a recruiting perspective, then they can do it. But it it what it, it does feel like I mean just watching that national championship game where you saw TCU and we watched TCU bully Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And Teddy and I were like, damn. And to see the gap between Georgia and TCU, it was one of those eye openers like, dang. The sure. got sure. some work to do, man. So that's just kind of <laughs> that's kind of our where we're at. We're, we're, I would say out of a lot of the OU people, we have a very realistic view of what it's going to take for this program to get to where we all want it to get. Well, I think the other piece of that, I think I agree with you in the, in the piece of that, that, um, you know, Brent Venables brings with him from Clemson, like one of the ingredients to what they've done at Clemson is it's not just that you are, you know, in, improving the quality of your recruiting over time. It's Clemson is one of those programs where, um, especially in their heyday with when, when he was there, you're signing good, really good classes. And those guys are staying for four or five years, like major, like very minimal attrition. Like you have to be one of the outliers in this sport now, in terms of people wanting to stay there, wanting to contribute to, to the success, um, not looking to bolt the minute something goes wrong. Like, and that's where the, obviously he, he comes in knowing the culture piece is so important and, it, and you have to try to recreate that to the best of your ability that also kind of fits what you're you know what you know works at Oklahoma and so that 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 I will be really interested to see like this offseason you know you, you expect attrition after a bad year like that and and I don't think they had like a crazy amount of attrition but like the the keys with these classes um the the 23 class and beyond is just can you can you make the right evaluations and then can you keep them in the program for four years and develop them to your standard and uh and, you know, find those all-conference players and all-Americans. Yeah. I think they've been more involved in the transfer portal as far as acquiring guys really than they want to be. Um, you know, having to supplement the roster right now until they they get the the conveyor belt, I guess, rolling with, with the recruiting classes, which, you know, is a decent transition into just as a conference – who do you view as a couple of the the transfer portal winners? Who do you think maybe improved their roster? And how about a couple of losers who look around and like, what do we got left? 
Yeah, I, I, I look at Oklahoma as one of the winners in the Big 12 of this portal cycle so far, um, or at least of this this first window, this 45-day window in, in December and January. Um, I, I think they're in position here to, depending on how they, you know, what other needs they have and how many more they want to go pick up. Like, I think they have a, a chance to have like a top 10 transfer class, um, depending on who's ranking that, obviously. But, you know, they had 17 guys transfer up. I wouldn't say there was like a ton of guys that you would, you know, like when they hit the portal, everyone was calling them and trying to get them. Um, and they brought 12 in. And, and honestly, I think that's kind of standard now. That's kind of like where this is all going. It's pretty normal. Usually a few years ago, you would say, oh, my God, they lost 17 guys off the roster of the portal. Like, what's wrong there? What's what's the culture issue? Like, it's, you know, it's clearly a sign that like a, a big red flag. And, and now, like, pretty normal. There's a bunch of SEC teams now that have lost. 20 or 25 players off their team um, this offseason that's just like that is just like the roster churn now that you kind of get used to and so I think Oklahoma I, I you're I think you're probably, probably right like you, you you ideally you don't need a dozen every year but um, with this group like they've definitely hit their needs I, I think that the improvement on the D-line is is super important and um, I think getting Rondell Bothroyd and, and getting Trace Ford Devon Sears Jacob Lacey and then and then going out and getting Samakola, who's really like super ideal for that cheater role and, and and one of the best guys in the portal period, like really encouraged by those wins that they were able to get. Um, not not surprised based on like the track record of the of who they've got coaching the D-line, but like I thought that was really important and and really impressive. And then you know, they've got some players to to hit some of their needs. I think I'm really interested to see how Walter Rouse responds to being at Oklahoma because that's a guy that's a four-year starter at Stanford, but certainly Stanford has really fallen off. Um, and so like, I bet it's going to be a little bit eye opening for him to see like, here's the off season standard at Oklahoma and and you've got to really bring it. And so um, I think that flipping him away from Nebraska, I thought was, was a big get for, for Oklahoma. And then, you know, I feel like the rest of the, that they've picked up was, was to kind of, like I said, hit those needs, be more need-based in, in their approach to it. I'm curious to see, you know, they get Andrew Anthony from Michigan. Curious to see if they, they want to get more, more wide receivers for that room. Um, and and kind of what needs pop up there at the, at the end of the spring. Obviously, you saw them go out and get a few guys um, at post spring uh, last year. So um, we'll we'll see kind of if they're done or not. But you know, like I said, it, it's tough to like look at the Big Twelve right now and like have a really great sense of who you think is going to be really good in twenty three because you go on down the list: um, Oklahoma State, UCF, West Virginia, Cincinnati, Houston. Kansas, even Baylor. I mean, they, they've all gone out and, and brought in a bunch of transfers this offseason. And so, like, yeah, you you and and there's some like I think TCU's done a great job, but TCU didn't need to go out and get very much. And so um to pick up like the receivers that they have, like is is impressive, but they didn't have a big a big wish list when it came to the portal. Um, you know, same with Texas. Texas got some premium guys, but they didn't really seem seemingly really need that much. Um, so I think like in terms of the losers, like the Oklahoma State situation is super interesting because they've lost some some good players again this offseason. And, um, you know, the, the Spencer Sanders saga was, um, you know, really a head scratcher in terms of just like how that whole thing played out. But honestly, I think Oklahoma State has also gone out and got some really good players. And so, you know, some of them are, are like lesser known, like group of five players and stuff like that. But um, I think they've actually kind of helped make up for some of those losses in, in a pretty good way this offseason so that's just kind of like that's just kind of how it is now it's really like a revolving door like a lot of guys in a lot of guys out we'll get you back to the interview but first bishop mcginnis catholic high school represents a tradition of educational excellence in oklahoma city 
Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics where they've won over 100 state championships and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. All right, back to the interview. How for, for you, right? Because you're, you are one of the portal guys, right? Like when it comes to uh, people covering it in college football media, how do you, how do you stay on top of all of it, man? Like, do you, do you have a method? Like, do you just wake up in the morning, you make some coffee, you check the portal? Like, how, how do you do that? Dude, like, you know, it's funny, like the, uh, a few months ago, do you remember, you guys remember like there was this moment when um elon musk was like laying off all these people from twitter and people were like twitter's gonna be dead in a week you remember that yeah. yeah oh yeah i honestly was like how the hell do you cover the portal without twitter like there's just absolutely no way you know like am i gonna go find a thousand kids on instagram and start following them like there's no way like so a big part of it is twitter honestly and, and that has made it a lot easier to follow these guys and see you know you have a lot of players now that when they go in the portal, it's their second recruitment and they want to tweet out, here's who my offers are. Here's where my visits are going to be, all that kind of stuff. So like you have to stay on top of like follow a lot of guys and, and um, you like just kind of keep track of it that way, you know, over time, you know, have, have, you know, no recruiting staffers at a bunch of different schools. And so you kind of try to pick their brain on who they like and, and, and who they're going after and stuff like that. Um, you know, a lot of it is like a guy pops up in the portal and yeah, you go over to PFF and see like what kind of career have they had, how many snaps have they played, you know, are they on all conference lists and stuff like that? Like it, a lot of it is just kind of that very basic, like, uh, like data entry stuff. That's like not very sexy. And, and, and most people like you, I mean, honestly, you, you have to have like an interest in the personnel side of this stuff. And I think a lot of people probably still, like they they want to know where the quarterbacks are going, but they maybe don't care as much about the other guys. And so it's you you have like there's that's just every position now. There's so many guys going in and so many like difference makers that can that you can go pick up now. And I think a lot of people there's still like an adjustment going on here a little bit where I think most people probably are still just like content to wait until they get their fill steel in the summer and kind of read through it and see who went where and stuff like that. But uh, following it on a day to day basis is uh, 
it's it's nuts um but uh it's it's been fun to uh to try to do it uh to the best of my ability here where do you see the future in it you know there's there's a couple of different philosophies um i for instance brent venables he he doesn't want to be a big player in the transfer portal ultimately they've had to be now but ultimately he wants to recruit he wants to develop culture he wants guys to be in the program from, you know, freshman to senior to where everyone knows the system and you've got like that that critical mass that's pulling you in the right direction. Um, and maybe maybe everyone wants to be that way, but at least on the surface you see, I would say the opposite has been USC, where maybe it's maybe it's because of the the state of the roster when Riley took over, but it appears that they want to be heavy in the transfer portal and they're fine with that. Like the culture and things maybe take a hit, but we're going to try and acquire as much talent at the very top end that we can. Like, are we still trying to see like kind of where this thing, who wins out in that, that type of philosophy battle, or do you think it's always going to be kind of split between those, those two type of styles? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, you like when you talk to people at like USC or like Ole Miss or some of these schools that were really um, dominant in the portal a year ago, they still view it as like the difference between the draft and free agency in the NFL. Like they still view it like, man, I would love for our high school recruiting to be so sick that we don't have to do this. You know what I mean? Like that's still how they hope. Like when you talk to like, there have been times when a, a player's hit the portal. And I know uh, uh, someone at a school has got a connection to them and I text them about them and they're like, no, we got everybody coming back at that position. So we don't need them. Like, ideally that's where you want to be. Oh, you wants to be in that spot where you say, Oh, this guy went in. Oh, that's cool. Like he's really good. Um, or he could play here, but we've got a lot of players coming back. We have a lot of faith in like the young guys that we think can step up this off season and, and take starting roles and stuff like that. So like, there's still kind of that classic like viewpoint on it of like, you'd still rather love what you're doing in high school recruiting and not have to lean on the portal so much. And, and, and if you look across the landscape here, Georgia didn't need anybody from the portal a year ago and won a national championship this year. They took uh, a couple receivers out of the portal and, and, and one DB who's like a, a freshman who's coming back home. Like they don't, they're, they're not trying to go out and, and pick up 10 guys out of the portal, even if they're a premier destination for anybody that's looking to make a move. Same with Alabama. Alabama has taken one player out of the transfer portal so far this offseason. You know, Texas A&M, Texas, Clemson, some of these schools that recruited at a high level, they're not out there throwing around a ton of offers and, like, super desperate to get these guys. And so, yeah, like, if your high school recruiting is still – like, if you are doing that at a high level and you're retaining your talent, um, which is, to me, like, the most important thing, then hopefully you don't have to live in that way. Can Can you do, like, the Michigan State thing and do the portal every year? and be like high level competitive every year. I think it's still too early to say that. Like, I think it's too early. And, and Michigan City obviously took a big step back last year. And you look at like the type of players they are getting in the portal this off season. And they're like, not the most impressive guys. I'm sure they've done some good evaluations and found some good players, but like, can you build the roster and be successful every year by doing it in, in a major way? Like I, to me, like I would say probably hard to be, sustainably like successful doing that um, feels like but, it stunts your growth right it stunts the development of the guys that you do recruit and it may hurt you on the recruiting trail like if you're known as a yeah. team that lives in the transfer portal is that really where i want to go if they're just going to bring guys in over the top of me every every year 
For sure. For sure. And so like, I, and I'll go back to the ones I mentioned, like, I think USC is, is still doing it. Ole Miss ultimately is still doing it. Like they still are, are taking a bunch of players out of the portal. Obviously they feel like those are players who can, who can play and start um, for their program. And, and like, they have a lot of confidence in the, the type of player they're taking. And when you, when you can call yourself the portal King, or when you're at the top of those rankings, like, it makes you a more attractive place to be for these guys that do go in the portal and don't know where they're going. Um, and so it's kind of like you get that reputation that it's like kind of hard to turn these guys away, but like, I, it, it's going to be, you know, what, what they were able to do at USC at TCU at a few other places to flip it in year one, I think is, is impressive. And, and certainly like you're going to probably, as we saw with OU year one, year two, maybe year three, you probably do need to do a lot of it, but can you be like a program that is in year five or year 10 and like you're, you're consistently leaning on the portal. Like that's probably going to be a little bit tougher to like really bet on that um, every off season. Looking at the portal when, when we, when I look at it initially, when guys start going in, it's about the quarterbacks, right? Yeah. And you just dropped a really interesting article on the athletic about top high school quarterback recruits and the pattern that's developing of those guys transferring. Like, were you surprised how, or how surprised were you when you, when you did the research for that piece, how surprised were you with what you found out? Yeah. So I looked at, um, so three years ago I did this where I, I looked at, um, I just started with the question of, all right, you, you went and signed a high school QB. Like what are the chances he stays now? And so this is the end of 2019. I, I did this and I looked at um, like these groups of the top 50 quarterback recruits, according to 24 um, seven for like a four year period, like 14 through 17, those four classes. So you get like a group of 200 quarterbacks and you look at it and say like, okay, so how many, like just really go down the list, study each of their careers, like how many um, started and played right away, how many of them transferred and all that. And what I found at the end of 2019 was we were kind of heading in this direction and 57% of those quarterbacks at that time out of 200 um, had, had, had transferred during their career. And so this year I was sort of like, let, let me go back and do that again and see just how much that has changed. So I went and did 2017 through 2020 and the result was 75% of them have transferred. And so that's, it's, that's a big jump, right? I thought, I thought over half was kind of a big deal a couple of years ago. And now, not really. Now it's like, this is just kind of the expectation now. Um, and a lot of it is tied to as much as it, like, it seems obvious that a lot of it's tied to playing time. And like, if you're not starting in your first two years, you're probably going to leave. Like, that's just how it is now. Um, but it's also like, you look at some of these situations like case by case. And it's like, like Dylan Gabriel is a great example of like, the kid started as a true freshman. Like everything went like exactly how you would kind of hope when you go into a college football program, when he went to UCF, and then you have the combination of a coaching change and a season ending injury. And now you're hitting the market, you know, like it's just, we're kind of like the normal thing now is that like, you, this is your plan coming out of high school. You want to go here, you want to compete and win a job. And if you don't win the job, you're going to transfer. And if you do win the job, stuff's going to happen obviously over the course of two, three, four years. And it's probably going to lead you to going in the transfer portal, either as a grad transfer or the minute you lose your job or the minute something doesn't really go right. And that's just kind of, like the mentality we have now. And like, honestly, guys, like who was the last Oklahoma quarterback that didn't either transfer out, you know, like scholarship quarterback that didn't either like transfer out of Oklahoma or transfer into Oklahoma. I couldn't even tell you. 
Honestly, there was a point either it was last year or the year before where there was five former Oklahoma quarterbacks that were starting across the country, and they were yeah. they were playing well. There was it was a really good group, it, but... and one of them won the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Like I like Cody Thomas went pro in baseball. I like you. I guess you could say him. Like, but like really, if you go back, like Trevor Knight transferred out. You know what well, I mean? Like Blake Blake Bell didn't transfer, but he Blake ended Bell up changed moving positions, to tight but, end. Yep, yep. And is now like, in finishing his eighth year in the NFL. So Pretty is good. it Landry? I mean, is is yeah, Landry, Landry like the guy? Because like nobody, there's also part of this is that like at least at that level, like certainly you can take some three star guys that are just happy to be there and stuff, but like. These guys don't want to be career backups now. So, like, probably, like, start to finish is Landry Jones, like, the last guy. I'm sure I'm blanking on somebody. No. But... No, you you 100% are not blanking on it. So, it's – uh, <laughs> that's just – and Oklahoma, like, that sounds really unique, but um, not really. I mean, there's, like, on the other side of that, like, yeah, Alabama has, has like, hit the jackpot here in terms of going from – um, Tua to Mac to to uh, Bryce Young, um, and fascinating to see where they go next. Like some of these places, like it is really smooth and easy, but most of the time, um, a guy's going to leave whether you you start him right away or you don't. Last thing I've got on the on the transfer portal is, do you feel like we're kind of locked into what the rules are going to be moving forward? And I know that's hard to say given the environment recently. Um, Aside from maybe the Power Five conferences removing themselves from the from the NCAA kind of overview, which has been thrown around, is this kind of you think we're we're where we're going to be for a while at least? So the one piece of it that um, I'm curious to see, like if it's going to adjust here in the next year, is right now, like in the eyes of like players and coaches the idea of it being a one-time transfer rule is, is a joke. Like guys are transferring like as many times as they want at this point. And you see players who no are, one wants to be seen as a program. That's not signing off on it. Is that what that is? Well, it's just, it's just really easy right now. Um, and, and we got to the one-time transfer rule because um, people, you know, were, were putting in waivers um, to try and get immediately eligible at a place. And ultimately like the number of, uh, like that, that the the office that handled that stuff just got overwhelmed, and it was just like let's just let's just give them all a free transfer. And people don't want to go to full free agency, obviously. Like they don't want that to be the law of the land. But right now, there's not really much of a difference. Like guys are still, you know, you're I'm still seeing players pop up in the portal who transferred a year ago and stuff. And so not a ton, more like ten percent of them, but still like you know, you see the JT Daniels and some of those maybe more extreme cases where a guy's going to his fourth school and you're sort of like, well, what, I thought that's not really the rule. Right. And so the thing well, that just to clarify, like I, you get the one free transfer, but yeah. if you transfer again, it's up to the school you're transferring from to release you. And there's some conference rules in there as well. Right. So like so there, there can there can be some a... conference rules, but a lot of times it's a guy trying to use their grad transfer for the second one. And if, exactly. as long as you're doing that, and and I think in some cases you you may have to get a waiver, but as long as you're doing that, people kind of feel like yeah, everything's getting approved, that's going to be okay, you know. And so it's right now we don't have free agency. People don't want to call it that, but I don't really see what the big difference is to it. And so the thing that they they're trying to crack down on now is that they're they are you know NCLA has come out and said 
we are going to make this a lot more difficult if you were going to transfer a second time. And so you need to have like, you need to have a legit like medical or some sort of crisis or something that you can cite as to why you're transferring. It can't just be playing time. It can't just be coaching change. And so we'll see, like if you can, if we can get this to a place where once a kid transfers one time, he kind of understands like, all right, I'm, I'm stuck here. I need to graduate from here. And you know, the coach is held accountable for like holding on to them and honoring their, their scholarship and all that kind of stuff. Like maybe it won't be as chaotic going forward. Um, but you know, as maybe you can like do that as opposed to just totally deregulating this stuff. But that, that is kind of like the fight right now is like, people don't want to go all the way to free agency. And so can you make it tougher to transfer a second time right now? People don't really feel like that's the case. And so the NCAA has come out and said, they are going to make that more difficult. We'll see if that actually comes true. Yeah. They're going to make that more difficult and they're going to beef up enforcement on NIL. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Told it. That's Dude, totally no, I mean, happen. like nobody, like nobody is living in fear of NCAA enforcement right now and they know it. And that's why they're coming out and, and, and saying these things and like begging their members to, Hey, please, please turn each other in because we, we need like, we, we need all the help we can get right now to try and police because there's just not like nobody's living in, in fear of the police right now. Nobody's, uh, you know, I think you, can, you people are kind of going whatever speed limit they want because they don't really think they're going to get pulled over. Right. Now we, we could talk about that stuff all day, Max, but For I sure. did, I did want to hit the big 12 schedule. We finally got it. Now, before we, we kind of get your reaction to the schedule, why do you think it took so long? Like, what do you think was holding things up? At, clearly, OU in Texas, I assume some type of large role in it taking so long. But what what have what have you heard about what made it take so long? I do not know. I honestly don't like. I would text people over the past few weeks, like every week. You, I feel like I was texting somebody and being like, "Hey, where's the schedule?" And like, literally, one of them just sent me back crickets emojis you know what i mean like they just did it there was not a lot of communication here on like you, you heard okay yeah end of december okay now okay end of january um i i don't know what the holdup was what the issues were that made them redo these things and i understood why over time staffers at these schools started to you know have that suspicion that maybe this is tied to texas and ou and you know i i, I did hear that last year when they were going kind of through this exercise of starting to put this together that you kind of wanted to do a two year plan so that like the home and aways made sense. And like people were rotating through. So they got to play Texas. They got to play Oklahoma one last time. And so maybe there was that initial step of like, we've set up a two year plan here and now we're not sure if it even makes sense to have a two year plan. And it's just a one year deal. Like I can understand that, but like, what was the specific like problem or people fixing the initial grid to the current? Like, I, I don't know guys. I really don't. What stood out to you whenever it finally was released and, and you got to see everything right there front and center with the new schools coming in and what what games were dropped from the old, you know, uh, 10 teams that have played each other every year? What What's the things, couple of things that stood out the most? Yeah, I, to me, like the thing that I, I wanted to go through right away on looking at it is kind of seeing which games won't get played this season. Um, and, and that is just because it's so different, right? We're so used to the big 12 schedule release being no big deal. Cause it's round Robin. Like you're going to play everyone. Like, yeah, you want to, you know, who the home and aways are going to be because they're the opposite of last year. And so like, 
Maybe there's some curiosity about the dates, but it really kind of doesn't matter. This was the first year where you kind of felt like, okay, somebody's like actually going to get a beneficial schedule and some, some, some teams won't. And so it was interesting to look through and see some of these like just oddities like Oklahoma state is not playing four of the Texas schools this year. Like, isn't, isn't that just like nuts to you guys, especially when you know, like how important it is to that program to recruit in the state of Texas. Well, Oklahoma plays one game down there, neutral site in Dallas. That's it. That's the only game we have. There's no other Texas road games. Wow. No. That's in just Texas. I think Texas has 10 games in the state of Texas. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that part was, was, um, kind of like bizarre to me. Like I, I, and I think like it also the probably within an hour of like looking over all this stuff, like the realization did kind of hit me that like, I think at this point in time, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to break any news here or anything like that. We'll see how things play out here, but like, I'm starting to assume that Texas and Oklahoma will be the, in the SEC in 24. We'll see, like, we'll see if that deal gets done. But as I looked at the schedule for 23, it did make me like kind of bummed out to think like, okay, like we're not getting OUK state this year. We're not getting OU Baylor. We're not getting OU Texas tech. We're not getting Texas, Oklahoma state, which has always like been a, a really reliably great game over the past few years. Like, kind of it, it kind of sucks like as a realization of like it may be a long time before we see those games get played again we'll get you back to the interview but first john vance auto group has been serving oklahomans for 40 years they're family owned and operated and they got nine full service dealerships in woodward miami and guthrie no matter what your vehicle needs are john vance auto group has you covered they carry domestic brands such as ford lincoln chevy buick GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way, which is why they have their lifetime loyalty program. And here's how it works. You buy a new or used car from them. All you have to do is get all of the manufacturer-recommended maintenance done at the Vance dealership. And if something goes wrong with any of the components of your engine, transmission, drive axle or transfer unit they will cover the repair costs it's a great deal and you can browse their entire inventory or find the john vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com and first fidelity bank is a full service financial institution based in oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs checking accounts saving accounts home loans and much more they do it all whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. All right, back to the interview. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, almost as weird as seeing those new logos in that grid. I was like, wait, <laughs> yeah. what? But when when you look at and it's hard to predict with all the movement, the roster movement now, it's hard to predict. Okay, who's gonna be good in twenty twenty three? But did anybody's schedule stand out to you? Were like, hey, that looks that looks pretty beneficial to them with how yeah with how it laid out. No, no, on OU, like I'm looking over it this morning. I'm guessing like the the optimistic fan looks at that one and says like five and zero going into Red River, right? I'll, I'll tell you this: the optimistic fan says 
that looks like an undefeated schedule. <laughs> of course, yeah. But no, but forget everything. If, this team, if, yeah, right. And this is this is something Ted and I have talked about. If OU were coming off a, you know, ten and three, nine and four type season, where you're like, man, that was a that wasn't that wasn't perfect of a year one, but it was a pretty good year one for Brent Venables. There would be a lot of conversation about them going undefeated in 2023. Yeah. But if it was like good team didn't get to the Big title game, but came close, like that kind of like, yeah, you're right. It would be, we're blasting off from here. Yes. It, that's exactly what it would be, but expectations are tempered. But when you look at it, I mean, your road trips for OU are Tulsa, which is a home game, by the way, you've got Cincinnati, Texas in the cotton bowl, Kansas, Oklahoma state and BYU. It's like what else could you ask for if you're Oklahoma? That's kind of how that's kind of how we've looked at it. Yeah, is... I mean, I think you know, there's a bunch of like pretty probably pretty good teams next year that OU will not play in the regular season. I like that. Like I said, like I think you look at it going into Red River and you feel like all pretty winnable games up up to that point. Um, I, I I'm glad we're going to see Gabriel against UCF. I think that's pretty cool. And then those last two on the schedule, I think, are super interesting because you go to BYU, and you know last year. Baylor went to BYU and played a 915 central kickoff. So you're kind of wondering like, is is that going to be the case for OU? Is that a seven o'clock game or nine o'clock game or super late? Um I, I'm sure nobody in the Big 12 office would want to screw over OU. Um and somehow we'll, we'll find a way to make that an eleven o'clock game, right? Like somehow we'll, we'll find a way. But be it um, be a 1015 local kick. That's right. <laughs> um, but then so then you go short week in the senior senior day or senior night against TCU. Like, I think that's an interesting way to finish it. Um, so I'm with you. Like, I think, I don't think it's, there's, there's pretty, pretty good breaks for OU the way that all shook out. I think the one that you circle right away in looking at it is Cincinnati. And just, I think they ended up with probably the easiest schedule, at least of the new big 12 members uh, for next year, where they, they play seven home games. Their toughest road games are, BYU and Oklahoma State, and I guess West Virginia, although that's not really the furthest game for them. Um, OU has to go to Nippert. Like, most importantly, they don't play TCU. They don't play K-State. They don't play Texas, and they don't play Texas Tech. Like, so they're really avoiding these, you know, not by choice necessarily, but, like, they are really avoiding, I think, some of the pretty good teams in the conference for 23, at least as you look at it on paper today. Um, Now, I don't really know – to be honest, like, I don't really know what kind of shape that program is in under Scott Satterfield going into year one. Like they probably do take a step back. And I just out of respect for how good Fickle is, but you know, Fickle probably also left them some talent. Do you have any idea how this schedule was created? Like part of me like pictures it as like the original founding of the United States where they're in like a courthouse somewhere and everyone's shouting out who should get what. But I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like whenever they're trying to figure this out, when you've been a conference for so long, where, as you said, everyone plays everyone, it's easy. We're just looking at dates and how it kind of fits up. But now there's like some heavy lobbying with Oklahoma, Texas, probably leaving to the sec. Like you mentioned, I mean, playing a home game against one of those schools is huge money wise for the like the local community tickets all of those things like just how did the lobbying everything play out to get us to this schedule if you if you know 
Yeah, and that, that's something that I talked about with the Big 12 AD last spring where they were, I asked them kind of like what, what the progress was on figuring this out. And, and of course, back back then you were still talking about are they going to be doing – you know, divisions for, for 23 and, and, and what would those look like even? Um, and, and the AD told me like, yeah, there, there was definitely interest in the room um, that over 23 and 24, all of these, you know, to the best of their ability that all of these schools get a home game against Texas or Oklahoma, because you're absolutely right. Like it's, there, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, gate revenue to be made off of those games and, and those fan bases travel well and stuff like that. So you, you knew that was like an interest. And, you know, like when, when you, when you shift into like SEC mode, like obviously the conversation right now is like protected games and like permanent opponents and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I'm curious, like what that, what the future looks like for the big 12 with that stuff. But like, I don't know, man, like I, I don't think there was a a Congress where everybody was shouting, um, here's what, here's the game I demand, um, I don't think that it was just some guy pressing a button and it was just all randomized and stuff like that. But I, I somewhere, somewhere in between those two, uh, the two spectrums, I, I I don't know. I wasn't in the room uh, on that one, but obviously you've got, um, you know, you've got some rivalries left in this conference that you, that you want to protect. Um, and, and I, you know, it's uh, it seems pretty random to me how this one shook out. I don't think they did a horrible job or anything, but it, it certainly took a lot longer than uh, than usual when you kind of expect this around, uh, you know, the time of, of the conference title game. And the Big 12 got approximately an hour of headlines before the NFL started hiring new head coaches. <laughs> that's true. The, yeah, that's did true. Not get a Did not get a big window where they were the main focus, but. Okay, I got one more question for you, and then we got some listener questions that got sent in for you, Max. Ted and I have been trying to figure this out. It's clear. When you look at the schedule, it was released, and then every school that's going to be part of the Big 12 in 2023 put something out. What is a graphic? Kansas had the video with the little girl, which was awesome. But OU in Texas, they just retweeted the Big 12's tweet. So it's clear they're upset about something because those are two schools that have big graphics department, big creative teams that will essentially make a graphic about anything. They're, the schedule's not on their websites. Like, What is going on with that? What, what could OU in Texas be so upset about? Because we, we really couldn't figure it out. Like, what, What's the issue? So is is this like a weather thing? You think like the internet's out probably in these towns? It is not. It is it's a, not. It, it you is can not, confirm it's not that. I can. I mean, we are doing the Zoom right now, so it, it, I mean, we yeah. made it work. We made it work. I can confirm that the internet has been working in the state of Oklahoma for the last several days. So okay, it, it did I, seem like an odd level of of pettiness. It did for sure. Yeah. Um, I I don't really. It's deliberate. It's not like by accident. There's something there. All right. There has to be. But like when you guys looked at that schedule, you weren't looking at it and saying like, oh my God, just as I feared, they screwed us. No, I, we could not have gotten, well, I guess there's a couple of ways you look at as a fan, like depending if you're a fan that I don't care who we play. I just want to win as many games as possible. Try and win the big 12, try and go to the playoff. It's perfect. If you're a fan that's like, I want some good, like, quality home games against, like, top-level teams that are known nationally, it's not. Uh, it looks like 
it looks like the whack ACC challenge, and we got caught in the middle of it. You know, I, I but <laughs> but like even the when the schedule drops, year, like people think it's great. But even when the schedule like drops, usually like for these schools, it's like tweet this out with like a hey, go buy tickets and stuff, right? Yeah. Like, usually it's like very obvious, like that, upside to tweeting this out. That's that's the most confusing part to me is, and it kind of makes me upset because clearly. We know how hard those players work year round to play 12 games, right? You you want your fans to be excited to come to games. You don't want them to have the attitude of, oh, let's get this season over with and get to the SEC. Like mm-hmm. I as a like if I was one of those players, I'd be like, guys, can can we please create some excitement so these people want to come watch us play? Like I work my ass off all year long to go out there and play these games. And I, I can't even get a video like of the schedule <laughs> that it, it doesn't, I, I don't can't like find the, one kid to draw the logos, you know, or something I, for us. That's what know? I'm saying. Like, I don't understand. I, I don't think, and, and that's why I need to know why they're so upset because they're, they're really upset about <laughs> something. I, I just don't know because I, I feel like it's a missed chance to create excitement for your fans and to get them, get them excited about the season. I just, I don't understand. That's why dude, you make some calls, Max, find out for us. You're the one that knows everyone. Come on, man. You know, I think like, it's like a good reminder of like, guys, can we like, can we really do this? It's all the way to 25. Right. Like, I mean, like it, come on. Like you kind of knew at some point, like the pettiness would like kind of set in and people would just be like, I'm, I'm done with this relationship. I'm ready to move on. And you know, Last year, there would be lots of like meetings among Big 12 administrators and stuff like that. And ever since like the news came out, they're going to leave. Like there's been lots of times when it's like, OK, we're having whether it's Phoenix or elsewhere, like, all right, Vegas, I think they had meetings as well, where it's like, all right, we're having our meetings. And for this portion of the meeting, like Josie and Delcani, like need to walk out of the room and we'll, we have to plan for the future and yada, yada. Right. Like, and, and like throughout this like period, it has sort of seemed like, okay, yep. We understand this is how it goes. Everybody is like up to this point, kind of in terms of like the early exit stuff, everyone is like kind of played their cards close to the vest um, and not said much. And so this has like been kind of like a, a pretty quiet issue seemingly. And it just kind of seems like ever since Brett Yormark came in, um, and, and said from the jump, he's willing to have the conversation. Like now we're getting into the process here of really figuring out what is it going to take to get them out? And, and most importantly, like, what is it going to take to satisfy like Fox and ESPN to make that kind of deal? And so to me, like just seeing that, I know it's just tweets and stuff, but like, to me, it kind of suggests that like, we are, we are in kind of the tense part of actually trying to settle this divorce. Yeah. I, th- I think there is like a lot of, I don't know, legally, I don't know what all the contract says, but maybe they feel like they shouldn't go out and endorse this new schedule that's been thrown at them uh, with the new schools, uh, right? So, but I don't know. I mean, I, I know this for a fact, um, like the, the, the ADs and administrators, like at UCF and Houston, um, like <laughs> in Cincinnati, like, they were pissed uh, over the course of like their exit negotiations with the AAC. They thought like the AAC was being ridiculous in terms of the number they were asking for and stuff like that. And eventually you get it done and everyone says, okay, we settled this. We're moving on. But this is, I mean, it is like 
contentious stuff. And obviously when it's Texas and Oklahoma and all the stuff that they and the SEC and, and, and the CFP and all that stuff have on the line for 24, like, yeah, it kind of seems like we're kind of tre- heading into that direction where either we're going to get a resolution at some point here soon, or we are going to have some, some pretty pissed off people. Yeah. All right, Max, we got two listener questions for you. This first one comes from Mark Bagby, and he asks, very important question. When is the athletic going to assign a full-time reporter on OU? Come on, man. <laughs> Kersey left us high and dry. When are we getting a new guy? What are we doing? I I wish I had the answer for you guys on that. That's not uh, one that they, they let me make hires uh, at this point. Well, you know, we'll see someday. But so far, I don't have hiring and firing power. I haven't accumulated that yet. I, I wish I like I wish I had a good answer for you on that. We had OU coverage um last year on a on a freelance basis. Um would love to would love to see the athletic have an OU beat writer full time for sure. What a company answer. Way to tow the corporate line. Perfect. Perfect. All right. This last one comes from at Sooner Magic. Magic with the K. How about that? And he asked this. This made me laugh. Who would you rather be on a cross country road trip with? Andy Staples or Ari Wasserman? Hmm. I Choose think... your answer wisely. You're very close friends with both of these people. It's a, it's a really good question. And these guys have been on a, a cross-country road trip together. So I like I have some insights as to how that went for them. Um I I think I would Ari's very easy to chit chat with for an entire day. Right. And that's important, obviously, if you're going to be doing putting in a lot of miles, but Andy's going to have the places to eat. Now, of course, Andy looks like a Greek God now. So like, we're not going to be able to eat the way like Andy would have ate five years ago when we're out on the road or, or maybe he's going to make me work out for two hours a day with him before we get to go feast on these kind of meals. So like, that is the, you're kind of signing up for the Andy lifestyle. Now, if you're going to go on a road trip with him, I think Ari might be an easier road trip because we would just bullshit the whole time and and eat well and, and get no exercise. I I feel like Ari's trying to turn over a new leaf just from listening to the podcast. I feel like he's he's trying to get on that Staples plan. He is. Yeah. Yeah. I hey, we all are, man. We all I I'm 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 counting calories too. Like we're trying to we're trying to get to the Andy Staples, you know, beach bod that he's he's locked down now. And it's uh it's a credit to him, but you know, it's, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little bit of a stress eater. So it, it, this job's stressful. You know, you got to try to, got to try to keep that under control here during a season. It can be tough. Max, you should have seen me after OU's losses this year. <laughs> it was <laughs> full pizza. How would you guys like come down from that? Like, would you just pour a glass of something? Like, what would you have to do? Multiple. I'd, yeah. it, it, I, I am definitely a eat your feelings type of guy. Okay. Yeah, it got, but like, like, was there like a like a fast food like shame move you would do after one of those games? No, it was literally like I. There's a couple pizza places close to my house, and I would literally just eat like a full pizza, <laughs> full ranch, whole thing. Just I respect but, it. Hey, yeah, this you would have eaten a whole pizza if they would have won. Listen, all man, relax, games. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was a sad full pizza, not a happy full pizza. Ted. There's what, what a big you, difference. Teddy? What would you do, Teddy, after a game? Um, I don't, I don't really even know. Typically, you just seethe, man. You're just like just you grit out. your teeth a lot. I I want I want to roll around in the misery. That's what I want to do. I just I it's here. 
I'm gonna embrace that it's here and just you're just like, gonna be on message boards all night long, just arguing just get with people. The full amount of pain and suffering. I bring it all on. Let's go. Because whenever things turn, it's gonna make it all that much better. Well, we, it's so it's so weird. Like sometimes in year one, like you kind of if you're if you're gonna be bad in year one, you want to be like kind of the fun bad where you're like, actually, we played pretty well in some of these games and stuff like that. But like the OU version of it was based on your level of expectations. And just like the 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 lifestyle you're accustomed to, basically on Saturdays, it was it was pretty bleak. We drove home together from that TCU game, mm-hmm. and what maybe said ten words to each other. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably three three plus hours, just nothing. Get, but it just, just it went so quickly to like, to like oh, we're not going to win any game. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just like, ah, oh, you know, ups and downs. Got it. Got to stick with it. It went very quickly to like, I don't think we'll ever win another game. It was got bad. It got bad. But 2023 is going to be a new year, Max. New new year, new OU. Let's go, buddy. That's right. All right. Hey, uh, I know we kept you long, but this was a lot of fun, man. Thank you for the time. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. That man, Max Olson, staying busy. Whoa. Got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, yeah, it's a busy time for the Big 12. You got incoming, outgoing members. You've got a new schedule that's uh, that's kind of crazy whenever you look at the way it's been done for, for 10 years now and, and having to change that up. But exciting times. Exciting times. On that note, episode 289, dude. We're getting close to 300. I know. Three it's deals. coming quick. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Wednesday. Just a reminder. You can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a fantastic week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time